Hi, I'm Diane Hullett, and welcome to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. Today, I've got a special guest, Hannah Fowler. And Hannah is an end-of-life doula, a registered nurse, and an educator. And she's been involved in a very interesting film that she's joined us to talk about today. The film is called The Last Ecstatic Days. And you can find out more about the film at the Last Ecstatic Days Movie. Com. And you can find out more about Hannah at eternalgracedoula.com. So with that brief introduction, welcome, Hannah. Thank you, Diane. It's a delight to be with you as always. It's great. Well, I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation because this movie is a really powerful piece. Um, and before we dive into the movie, just tell us, you know, what's your background? How did you get into this work? How did you get involved with the movie? Sure. Um, I've always been drawn to sort of being in spaces that are uh, more mysterious and deep, sort of facing the root of a problem, which is why I became a nurse in the first place is to become an alternative functional nurse practitioner is what I always wanted to, to do because I felt that Western medicine in many ways was sort of just putting a bandaid on symptoms. And when I was working as a nurse in an ICU step down, I basically realized that becoming an NP would likely mean further immersing myself into a system that I didn't really want to be a part of, a system that felt over-medicalized to me and sort of denied the possibility of healing the mind and soul in addition to the body. So instead, I turned to hospice nursing out of that yearning to be part of, of healing or um, connecting to something beyond the body. And I loved it. And it was an immediate homecoming for me. Um, and yet, even in hospice, it felt institutionalized and over-medicalized to me. And eventually, years later, I moved to a new place, and there was no hospice at all in town. So I sort of pivoted and started facilitating psychotherapy groups in a behavioral health facility for a few years and got to play with the mind a little, which was fun. And I became really interested in grief work then. Um, but eventually, I just missed end-of-life care so much. And I was looking for ways to offer my community end of life care because hospice wasn't available. And so I was searching yeah. ways to provide non-prescriptive um, care at the end of life. And that's CDI, which is how I know you, Diane. And I became an end of life doula and started my own practice. So for the last few years, I've been doing that. In the last two plus years, I've been faculty with the Conscious Dying Institute, training others to become doulas and facilitating grief ceremonies and bringing these trainings and um, workshops into healthcare systems to try and repair those gaps, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I, sh I wish I'd said that at the beginning because yeah, Hannah and I both know each other as faculty <laughs> on the Conscious Dying Institute. And, and I think that's been such an amazing way to, to meet other like-minded people who want to go into these kind of spaces and hold mm -hmm. these profound places for people and spaces so then through that, how did you become involved with Ethan and tell us about this film project? Um, well, for a very brief moment in time with CDI, I was helping them with their marketing and their social media. And so it was the day of Ethan's vigil, actually, others at CDI were telling me about him and they said, hey, share this link to our social media. This young man is going to live stream his vigil. And I didn't have any context of who Ethan was at this point. I was completely mind blown about this concept. I mean, really, have you ever heard of anyone live streaming their vigil before? I haven't. No, and, and so by I vigil, was... <laughs> say, say even what you mean by vigil for listeners who might not know. I mean, you mean the last 
few days, few hours? He, this was the last few hours of Ethan's life. By definition, we, we say vigil is like the last 72 hours or so of someone's life. And it's the time when doulas or those at the bedside are watchful of, of that time and space and very um, protective of it as a sacred event, basically. And so, yeah, so he, he live streamed the vigil, which was so intriguing to me. And so I just started going through his social media clips, basically, where I was learning how he shared his wisdom while undergoing his cancer treatments. And I was really drawn to his willingness to uplift and sort of illuminate these difficult parts of life, like being ill and dying. Um, so, so more time passed. And eventually a friend of CDI asked me to post the trailer for the film to our social media, to CDI's social media, and to spread awareness about it. I didn't even know they had filmed Ethan's dying process. I just knew that this vigil was live streamed back then. Um, and so that's when I felt something in me shift because I'd, I'd always been drawn to film as a medium and had always wanted to use film to really shake people and wake people up about conscious dying and conscious living. And around that time, I was actually reaching out to other people to see how I could collaborate on other film projects, specifically relating to grief and comedy, this project I was trying to get involved with. So anyway, I posted the trailer and I was talking with the director and something just clicked and I was brought onto the team as the impact producer, um, primarily because of my passion, but also because of my connections and experience as a doula and an educator. So that's my role with the film is to raise awareness about the film and to translate people's experience watching the film into taking inspired action to really shift our narrative of death and dying to one that is empowered and supportive and to offer education. I love that. I love that title. I don't think I've ever heard impact producer before, but it's really like, like the job of like, after the fact, um, monitoring and encouraging and putting out there what the impact could be. Cause I think films can go so far. Mm -hmm. exactly. Well, amazing. I, I can imagine that people would think this would be a hard film to watch. And what was your experience with it? Have you seen some of the film? I assume at this point. Yes, I have. And this story, I would say, is about more than death. You know, there's companionship, there's adventure, there's community. So there's levity in there. And yes, death too. And we both know that death is laborious. And is it hard because it's laborious? Maybe so. Um, I would add that because of that, there's the invitation or the possibility um, for something deep and beautiful. And, you know, it's no secret we avoid death in conversation, in our own awareness of it as it relates to our lives and the lives of all those we love. And that we have such compounded narratives and trauma around the word alone that, you know, the very mention of it makes us want to bury our heads in the sand. So I would argue that that is what's hard, not the film itself. It's it's the resistance and the baggage that we bring to it because of what we've been told it means. And because we haven't been given opportunities to experience it otherwise, I would say, to, to witness the, the mystery of it and the possibility in it. It's like the beauty in what Ethan had to share was really in his, his living. Yeah. And I think that's what we do as doulas, right? We hold those that we're companioning in the face of what's happening, in the face of death. And we allow that judgment and that resistance to sort of boil up and spill out as we sit with it. And it's through that 
that there's the invitation to sort of let go of some of that, to lay down uh, some of that if you want to. And you don't have to want to, but it's a possibility to lay down some of that resistance to the unknown, to what you've already been told about death, and to instead be curious about what's happening versus just reactively turning away. And so I say that because in many ways, that's what this film can do, I think, if you let it is to say, come and be with me. And that's what Ethan said, come and be with me. Can you be curious about me just for a moment? I'm here with you, we're in this together. And I think this film is capable of making death less hard for other people when their time comes by showing what's possible. You know, that death doesn't have to be the way you think it does. And so if this has to be the first death film that's hard to watch, Sure. So be it. I promise, you know, like most hard things in life, the reward of turning toward it rather than turning away from it is great. And so, yes, it's hard and it's real and it's going to be real for all of us. So at what point do you turn toward the hard thing and say, let's dance? You know, is it harder to look at the thing or is it harder to pretend it doesn't exist? And then when we can no longer ignore it and when it inevitably knocks at your door, then you have no relationship with it, no tools to communicate with it or to learn from it. Um, and most importantly, no agency over how you dance with it. I think the latter is much harder. Right. Wow. I think that's so well put. And I love this, this metaphor of dance with it, right? Because it is something we'll all dance with one way or another eventually. How did, mm-hmm. like, how did Ethan, do you tell us any backstory? Like when did they start filming? And at what point did he sort of say, I, I think I have a message and film might be the way that I want to offer that? Well, he, so he created this online community through social media I mean, he'd always been pretty present on social media is my understanding, but as soon as he became sick, he started filming himself more and more and more and creating this online community because it was such an isolative time during COVID. He was lonely and he wanted to reach out to people. And um, he also wanted to uplift people and show people that they are not in this alone. You know, others who are going through similar cancer treatments and so forth. And so he created this online community that spanned across the globe, and he put in a lot of time and effort into really showing up for people who were in need of support and companionship. And in turn, they showed up for him, you know, so throughout the end of his disease process up until and beyond his vigil, he had this community, this broader online community. Much broader. Much broader. Yeah. Wow. Um, And then as far as But, you know, eventually he saw the impact of that. He saw how he was changing people and uplifting people. He kept, he prevented two people from committing suicide because of his outreach and support. And so he said, you know, I want to, as he became more and more ill and he was declining, he said, I want to film the last few weeks of my life to continue to inspire people to show that there's another way, I think. And so as far as, you know, in-person community goes in Asheville, um, a, a wonderful soul named Jojo Silverman is following Ethan on, on social media and saw his one of his later posts where he was requesting this support in person and community and this ask to be filmed as well to continue to uplift and inspire. And that's when Jojo reached out to Dr. Aditi Sethi to help support Ethan. And for those of you who don't know Aditi, she's this beloved end-of-life doula and educator in Asheville who is super resourced in her community as far as end-of-life care connections go. And so Aditi became Ethan's primary end-of-life doula for the 
last two plus weeks of his life. And she's the one who reached out to her generous friend, Nate, who offered his beautiful home overlooking the mountains for Ethan to die in because Ethan couldn't receive the community support he wanted in inpatient hospice because of COVID visitation restrictions at the time and hospice wouldn't allow for filming because of privacy laws. So Aditi helped find a home for Ethan. And more importantly, she rallied this whole community of hospice practitioners and all these volunteers, you know, these holistic care practitioners, musicians, friends, family of Ethan's to provide this exceptional care around the clock for his last days. Um, so it was, you know, the combination of Ethan sharing the news of his dying on social media, wishing for a community met with Aditi's presence and connections in her community that showed up. So. Wow. What an extraordinary experience that must have been. And then Mm -hmm. extraordinary both for Ethan and for the people involved. Like once Mm -hmm. they started to decide to do this, it just marched forward and began to happen. And I hadn't realized it was just sort of the last, um, you know, the last ecstatic days, right? I, I wasn't two weeks-ish. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't two sure weeks. if it started it months before, but so powerful that in the middle of COVID, when he'd gotten his diagnosis, he created this big community on social media. That's really something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty beautiful. So you never actually met him. I never actually met him, but I've spent a lot of time with him through the film. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what were some of the powerful moments in this experience for you? Um, you know, watching the first edit of the film with the rest of the team was one of the most powerful moments for sure for me. It was one of those timeless moments and the air felt electrically charged the whole evening. And when the film ended, we just sat in silence in total awe and just held one another with tears of gratitude streaming down our faces because I had never seen a film about something that's so universal, you know, this most profound threshold crossing that exists, but it's displayed in such an intimate way that it really allows you to connect with yourself and with others so presently. And it captures so beautifully the mystery of the process that we're all going to come to know without exception. So it's just like this most unifying truth there is and participating in the immersive experience that is watching this film in real time with others just offers such connection. And, and I think it was so impactful because I thought to myself, imagine this in a theater, you know, the level of connection people will be able to have with one another witnessing this journey together. It's just incredible medicine. And I think it's a much needed medicine. So that's, that's one that stands out for me. Yeah. Incredibly powerful. And, and do you have any information on when the film's available or not known? I know the way they make movies now is a little bit different. Yeah. The film will be done at the end of summer and it will likely be available to watch in the fall, late fall, early winter. Um, And so for details as that time approaches, please follow the film on social media because we'll, we'll post updates and screening events and details on how to watch it. Fabulous. Our, our website is thelasticstaticdaysmovie.com and you can find the trailer there and share with friends or join our mailing list. And, and, and we'd love for you to join us on social media as well because that's where we post a lot of updates. So our Instagram is thelasticstaticdays and our Facebook is thelasticstaticdaysmovie. 
Got it. Got it. So either one of those will take people. And I can imagine that this has a big, has a lot of momentum. Like it must have a lot of social media presence already given that live streaming of his vigil. He has, he has a lot of support still. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, I, I just appreciate the framing that you've given us about um, why this film is important and how it's an opportunity for individuals and communities to come together and see it and have this um, almost like expansive experience. You know, I, I wonder if people would hear about it and think it's hard, like I said at the beginning, but that's not my thought. My thought is it sounds like this expansive and almost like just gorgeous expression of experiencing someone's individual experience that is a universal experience in a way that he seems like was very open-hearted in how he shared. Absolutely. And he was so intentional about what he wanted and the community was so intentional about how they showed up for him that you just feel it so strongly. Um, it's, it's infectious. So. Oh, I love it. Infectious. Well, thank you so much, Hannah. Is there anything else you'd want to share with listeners or viewers? Um, I guess I would just encourage people to imagine what's possible and, you know, speak a little bit, just really briefly to rich ritual as, as a threshold crossing that brings us beyond the extraordinary, the ordinary world into the extraordinary world, right? Into something that is intentional and has the capacity to transform because of the level of presence and purpose that we enter into it with, that we don't typically operate under through most of our waking lives. And so I just say that because stepping into that home from those who were there was crossing into a threshold, into this extraordinary space and time, into a sacred container where deep healing and transformation took place, not only for Ethan, but for those who cared for Ethan. Like they received that benefit as well because of how that space was held by his community and and by Ethan's intention. That's how meaning and purpose are possible in caregiving and in this work, when we abandon our identities and our roles and instead become like this one organism connected with one another and, and just showing up with intention. That's how everyone benefits and everyone is fed by this ex experience. So I just wanted to add that because I think that's an important aspect of what we can learn from his example of communities, how to hold someone on their end of life journey, but to be held ourselves in that same way and to bond with one another through that experience. Right. And that that's even possible, even the, in the simplest of ways we can mm -hmm. um, almost just by saying that we name this as sacred, even if what you're doing is crossing into a, a hospital room where an elderly relative is dying, you can name that as sacred and hold that in a little bit of a different way than the chit chat of um, how's grandma doing and who's going to go grab, you know, something from the cafeteria. There's a sacredness around that end passage that is truly possible to hold in what are probably more ancient ways, but in the current U.S. society, kind of less common. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Hannah, for joining us. Again, you can follow the movie at thelastecstaticdaysmovie.com. That's the website. And you can learn more about Hannah and her work at eternalgracedoula.com. Thanks, Hannah. Thank you, Diane. I'm Diane Hullett, and you've been listening to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. And you can find out more about the work I do at bestlifebestdeath.com. Thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm.